hey, this is Michael J. Flores, and I'm not with BDM because he cheated on me with Brad Nelson, so I'm not going to go cheat on him with, um, who are you again? Mark Herberholz. Mark Herberholz. It's been Her- a while, but someone out there probably remembers. Mark Herberholz, didn't you win a Pro Tour once? I did, once upon a time. Mark- Recently, I made a deck that let someone else win a Pro Tour. So, not a lot of people know this, but Mark Herberholz was probably the best deck designer in the world for a fair stretch. I would say for about one year. But at the same time, they missed... Some mis- might say two years. Some might say two years. I think there were some blips, like Billy Moreno gave you a, a run for your money. But I think that for a sustained period, you were the best. I would say for at least a year. Um, and But then, you know, people were like, oh, Guillaume Wafotapa. Because he just he beat you in one match. So yeah, he must have been better I, than you. I kind of fucked. I kind of messed up. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, to me, though, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mark lost that whole match, that one match, you know. <laughs> so if I you... just added, literally, if I just added an Academy Ruins and, uh, what was it? Triscalavis? Yeah, if I had that to my deck, I would have had the best 75 in the tournament by mm-hmm. far, and I still think that I had the best 75 in the tournament without it. I think you had the best 73. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Your 73 I mean, were better I than... I would take my head. deck over Wafo Tapas. Well, what? To win the tournament, you got to go through him, though. You know that's yeah, the thing. I, I destroyed him in the Swiss, like it wasn't even close. And his draws were unreal. Like in game one, I haunting him, him take his whole hand, and he just rips like four straight spells in a row. And by the end, the last turn, I was just thinking he can't possibly have ripped another cancel. And I just like go for some spell, and he's just like cancel. And I'm I'm just sitting there like, why is this happening to me? Um, I don't know. Probably moral. Don't you think? Like, you probably did something to some poor girl, and it was karma getting you. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so for those of you who didn't follow Mark's career, about five years ago you were basically on top of the Pro Tour, right? Um, the the tournament you're talking about, was that Yokohama? Yeah, that was Yokohama. Pro Tour Yokohama. Um, Mark was, the previous year, had won Pro Tour Honolulu, the first Hawaii. That's my favorite Pro Tour of all time, I think, that Hawaii. Or probably your, <laughs> your, your favorite of all time, too, I would I guess. Am too. <laughs> so he won with a, a, this is a true story, right? So the day before the tournament starts, I see Mark scr- either scrounging near the dealer tables or, like, picking through commons after a draft. And I'm like, Mark, what card are you taking? And the card was Scab Clan Mauler. And I'm like, why do you want that card? And you said, I don't want to pay a dollar for Watch Wolf. Is that a true story? Well, that's actually not a true story. I may have just said that because I was, I was lying, and I, I literally had no intention of ever playing Zoo. So what happened is I arrived like three days before the tournament to the Beach House. All the Beach House guys are playing the black, white, green like control deck. It's just, like, full of all these, like, box-down hierarchs and face fetters, and they have this red-green beat-down deck. It seems pretty good, but for some reason it's running, like, Landlord Elf and Volcanic Hammer and Rumbling Slum. So I just play, and I'm just like, these cards are all horrible. You're not ramping up to anything with Landlord Elf. Rumbling Slum just gets face fetters, and Volcanic Hammer can't kill a hierarch. So I just go, okay... Cutting, cutting the Landlord Elves for Frenzy Goblins, cutting the Volcanic Hammers for Flames of the Blood Hand, cutting the Rumbling Slums for Giant Solifuge. This is what I'm going to run. Played maybe about five games of it before the Pro Tour. Never actually cast a Giant Solifuge in my life <laughs> until 
a match of the Pro Tour. I was just like, played five games, and I just said to myself, eh, whatever. Like, this actually seems like it'll be pretty good. I'll just run it. Show up to the PT the next day. You know, obviously the rest is history. Yeah, so you got paired against some number of Owling Mine decks, as I recall. Yeah, it was like Owling Mine, and um, there was a Magnavore deck, like Blue-Red Magnavore, that just played like a bunch of Stone Rains and stuff. I'm just sitting there attacking them with the Curd Apes and Scab Clam Maulers, and they're trying to Stone Rain me, like staring at their Pyroclasms in their hand. Yeah, so you, you lined that one up pretty good, huh? All, uh, all decks that couldn't kill an X3? Yeah, it was, like everyone just had Pyroclasms. And then all my creatures, you know, just so many of them had three toughness. It was, the deck was, it was good. It was real good. The bad matchup was black-white uh, beatdown because they had the Descendant of Kuyamaro. And then whenever I played against that, they just mulligan into Oblivion. Like, I think my the two matches, I just got really lucky. Uh, you beat Osip in the top eight, though. That's uh, yeah. That I- matchup was so good for me. So good. Yeah, Osip, uh, he played the wrong land. I, uh, he picked up the wrong land with uh, with Moloku. He needed to pick up, what's the name of it? The it, uh, it, it Tendo makes, Ice Bridge. Tendo he Ice goes, Bridge, yeah. He goes, like, tap my, like, Urza's Tower, pick it up, activate Moloku. I say, okay. And he, like, has the Urza's Tower, like, halfway to his hand. And then he realizes that he needs to return this Tendo Ice Bridge so he can play it again and reset a counter. So he, like... Puts his tower back down into play tapped and goes to pick up the ice bridge and he's like, uh, "I'm gonna return this Tendo ice bridge." And I go, "No, you're not. You return there's this tower. Like, do you want to return the ice bridge? You gotta tap another mana." And he goes, "No, no. I mean, I was just like showing you that I was using Malone's ability when I picked up there's this tower." And I'm just like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "No, you picked up there's this tower. It's back in your hand. Tap another mana if you want to pick up that ice bridge." And he's just like. No, I'm, I'm picking up the ice bridge. I just look over my shoulder at the judge standing right behind me who's just witnessed this whole thing unfold, and he just looks at me, like, looks at Osip and goes, you picked up the tower. So Osip slams the tower back in his hand and just, like, passes, and he's so furious. Of course he's he furious. <laughs> yeah, he needed to replay the ice bridge because he only had, like... Well, it was only blue or his, something, right? Yeah, that would have been his second... Uh, like, that would have been his only blue so he could reman my end-step char so his Moloku could live another turn. So I just go, like, end-step char your Moloku. <laughs> I have, like, swing on my team and he loses. He's shuffling up and he's just pounding his cards together as he's shuffling, mm-hmm. just so furious. And I'm just like, sorry, dude, you messed up, you know? Yeah, that was in the top eight of a Pro Tour, though. I, I mean, yeah. I love you, Mark, but I was cheering for Osip in that Pro Tour. Everyone likes an underdog. Well, I mean, you made the best deck of that Pro Tour. It was pretty sweet. It was pretty good. I loved how the reason I played the deck was because I just wanted to play a deck with consistent mana. And then that's why I didn't play Zoo. And then in the finals, I beat Craig Jones because his mana was so bad. Would, do you think Osip would have beaten you if he if he had picked up the correct land? Um, he would have won that game, but I won 3-1, so... Oh, okay. It would, so it would have gone to the fifth game? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, and, and then it's not even guaranteed that he would have won that game. It would just would have drawn out more. He he probably would have been a favorite at that point. Oh, he changes who goes first, though, in the last game, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you just made this mono-white deck for the most recent Pro Tour? Yeah, Antonio DeRosa was 
won a PTQ for the Pro Tour, and we worked together, and he was just asking me if I wanted to help him brew. So I, you know, the first thing I saw was Pure Steel Paladin. I was just thinking, this card is just so insane. It's card drawing engine, and on top of that, it's it's like you just get free mana all the time because you don't have to pay equip costs. So I just kept on brewing decks, brewing them, brewing them, you know, just was beating everything I was playing against, shipping the deck to anyone who will listen. No one plays it. I was literally so close to just posting it on my Facebook status update, just the deck list, because I just wanted someone to play it. Like, it was just so good. Someone had to play it. And then, but Anthony DeRosa was just like, I'm 100% going to play it, so I, I couldn't just, you know, let it out when I knew he was going to play it. So I'm just thinking, like, this is this this sucks, you know. I just broke the format with this deck, and no one's going to play it. So Anthony goes to the PT, hanging out with some random Florida guys, and they're just making fun of his deck, making fun of the Pure Steel Paladin deck. Like, what is this deck? Why don't you just play Tempered Steel, you know? Then he just starts beating them. And they keep, and then they start getting quieter and quieter, so he just starts beating them more and more. And then finally they're just like, hey, man, can I have that deck list? <laughs> so and he then- ships the deck list. Five, I think it was five out of the six people that played it cashed, two out of the six top aided. And one of them and, won. Yeah. <laughs> Just so, and then obviously, like the deck is just like all over Moto, you know. Everyone's playing it. it. Felt good. Felt good to brew a winner again. How's that one in standard? A lot of people play Tempered Steel in standard now. Um, I've actually been playing it in a lot of queues. I made a faster list with Adventuring Gears and Cordulus, and uh, no, no, nothing above three. And it's been doing pretty well. I've been doing really well on Moto with it. You still have swords, right? White, white, red sword. Yeah, yeah. It's like swords, mem knights, vault scourges, you know, a bunch of equips. Um, no, no, like spot removal. Just like all creatures equips, just try and beat them down as fast as I can. And I've been doing well with it on Moto. Uh, Tempered Steel is a little rough game one, but after sideboarding, gets pretty good. And I've posted a winning record versus it so far. Well, you are historically one of the best players of all time. I mean, so beating some kids online with uh with your deck after sideboarding probably that not the biggest accomplishment that's a good point that is a very good point well, speaking of which being one of the best players of all time how about that something coming up this year yeah a little hall of fame i'm not i don't know it seems like i'm not getting a lot of love out there i don't i don't know why i don't think people realize how big of a personality i was like people read you know Patrick Chapin's articles, LSB's articles, and Jerry T's articles, and they want to go to the Pro Tour to play in the tournament. People read my articles, and they want to go to the Pro Tour to hang out and have fun. You know, they just want to go for the experience. I feel like since I was always so open with my lifestyle, and since I I feel like I did a lot to make the Pro Tour kind of cool and fun and a little bit more mainstream, and I think people can undervalue that a lot. I think I did a lot to draw people to the game by being so open with, you know, all of my ridiculous stories that often shed me in a poor light. Well, I don't know. I, I think that from a voting standpoint, this is what I'm deathly afraid of, actually, is that you and Osip get into, like, a dogfight like Steve OMS and Chris Pakula for the first several years of the, of the Hall of Fame, right? If a couple of people, you know, myself included voted a little bit smarter in the early years of the Hall of Fame. We wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. But instead, over the course of, is it seven classes now? Chris yeah, and so. Chris and Steve have been eating each other's votes every single year. So both good men, 
very, very similar profiles of the kind of people who want to vote for one or both of them. And if one year everyone's like, oh, we're all going to vote for Steve this year, or the other year, like, oh, we're all going to vote for Chris this year, they'd both be in right now if you just tally up all the votes that went to, to both of them over the course of these years. But instead, like, it's, they keep ending up fourth out of three or sixth out of five. And I think yeah. that that's what's really scary about you and Osip. To me, your, your resumes are so similar. You played about the same time. He was, um, never as good, he was never close to as good of a deck builder as I was. I, I disagree. I think that you were pretty peer. He was fantastic. Like around Venice, he, what's your first Grand Prix top eight? The, the Astral Slide one? Yeah. That same Grand Prix, you didn't work with him, right? You had your yeah. own Astral Slide? He posted, by myself. he posted second, second place, third place, 11th place, and like five people in the top 32, including himself at 29 at that Grand Prix, coming off of a Pro Tour win. I think he's real good. My deck was better than his for the Grand Prix. They had a they had main deck Temple of the False God. I looked this up yesterday. I I thought main deck Temple of the False God. They had Decree of Annihilation. I had main deck Decree of Annihilation. What was the difference? They had one Gem Palm Incinerator, and you had none. Yeah, there was like some some mirror card that I had extra. And you had a Jareth, maybe. Yeah, I like theirs better. Second and third. When I played Osip, against Osip, I just blew him out. Yeah, but didn't no you lose reason. to Rabbits or something? I lost to Eugene in the, in the top eight. Yeah, that's Osip's deck. Screwed. Yeah, I got mana screwed. What do you want from me, all right? I want you to draw consistent mana like you did in Honolulu. Hey, my deck was better. You can... And I was working by myself. Osip was working with Target and CMU. Mark, I'm just saying, at that Grand Prix, second, third... Not like a, either 9th or 11th, and then like half a dozen more in the top 32. is one of the most impressive displays of a single deck I've ever seen. Right I, now, having one person play a deck and come in the top 8, or also, consequently, having one person play a deck and win the Pro Tour. Well, that one, I'll give you. You were good. I, I think I, I think that it's not fair to say that you're just vastly better than Osip at deck design. I think no, you're very comparable. No one that no one realizes is I built the Martyrtron deck that Nassif top forward with. He always gets credit for that. That was me. That deck was by far the best deck for that tournament, too. Well, Osip built the Psychotog deck that tanked all the Tog guys at, at Pro Tour Columbus. <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> one of my favorite stories ever was Eugene siding in um, uh, Shadow Mage Infiltrator basically every match. And I'm like, why do you side it in no matter what matchup in your like, The rest of my deck is all card disadvantage. Isaac on Scepter, <laughs> Chrome Mox. <laughs> Every single card I draw is minus one card. I need to get some card advantage. <laughs> so we always sided it in. Can you imagine the force of personality required to get the Rainmaker off of his red deck to play a Psychotog <laughs> deck? I mean, you want to talk about making the Pro Tour cool. Imagine that. Do you think you could take the Rainmaker off of... You know, his red deck wins deck, and then force him to play with the cards Isochron Scepter, uh, Vampiric Tutor. <laughs> There's another card that was minus one card. The, deck. the problem and, with that is, whenever I force someone to play a deck, it was always just a stone blade. Um, uh, the other thing is, like, you have one more, you have one more top eight than Osip, which a lot of people see as being significant. But then his, his, his other stuff, like, he has way more top 32s than you. I think that that's... I, I really think you guys are real comparable and then that that has a potential of, of splitting ballots. But I'll just tell you, I, I voted a Heezy this year. I love a Heezy. Yeah. It's nice to get some love, man. 
nice. Why should other people vote Aheezy? Come on, Mark. I mean, I was just such an enormous personality in the game. You know, I didn't write articles, but I was always doing deck techs. I was always, you know, telling stories. You know, people, people who went to the Pro Tour and were just, like, around me, you know. So, so like, I'm always just, like, joking around, telling stories, having fun. I did a lot to make tournaments fun, you know. So let's talk about making tournaments fun and bringing, let's say, bringing people towards Magic. The year is 2006, end of 2006. Somebody comes back onto the Pro Tour, barns your points for 2HG Pro Tour, and then what happens? Who's the person? Patrick Chapin. So Patrick Chapin barns your points to play the 2HG Pro Tour, and then what happens with him? Uh, and then he top fours... He finals worlds. He finals worlds, and he's created a whole new legacy, right? He's way more famous yeah. and influential today than he is in his first part of his pro tour career, which included multiple top eights, both as a junior as an, and as an adult, etc. I remember when Pat was coming back, he's like, oh, I think I'm going to play this one pro tour with with Mark, but I, was he talking about like exporting shrimp or something at the time? Yeah, I, he had so many crazy schemes back then. But I can't even keep track of them. Instead... Instead, he gets onto this path of pretty much, you know, what's he saying? He wants to be the person who's, who's known for the most love of the game. And I, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that, not that you were, you were the only reason, but probably, if you're a Patrick Chapin fan, and, and you like what Pat's done in terms of writing articles, theory, you've won an FNM with one of his deck lists, I think you probably have, at least to some degree, Mark to thank for putting Pat on that on that path. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, the thing was, I was just paying it forward, you know. I got to where I was because Pat sat down, and there was a summer where I would just go and meet up with him, and we would just game, like, you know, four or five nights out of the week, just hours on end. And that really helped me jump from being, you know, a PTQ top eighter to a PTQ winner. And then right around there, you know, he had to take his break from the game, and then as that was happening, that's when I started my rise. So when he when he came back into the game, I was at a point where I was just happy to give him, you know, to pay something back to him. You know, he had done so much for me. I definitely owed it to him to, you know, spend a lot of time, like, playtesting with him for, like, PTQs and stuff. The roles were kind of reversed. Like, now I was the master and he was the student. Sometimes, you know, we would get in playtesting and he... He would try and outplay me and stuff like that, and then I would just have to look at him, turn it on. Who is dominant head, Mark? Me, of course. If I asked Pat who is dominant head, who would he say? He better say me. If we played the 2 HG <laughs> tournament tomorrow, I'd still be dominant head. <laughs> He's coming up a Pro Tour top eight this year. Whatever. And I'm throwing a, a I'm throwing a vote Chapin way. I every year I write I write at least one article about um, my HOF ballot, but I'm gonna keep it. I mean, keeping it to myself this year, but Michigan's getting some love from me for sure. Good, man. It's good. So what are you going to do for the world if you, if you get on? So let's say a, a bunch of good-hearted people like myself throw votes easy way. What happens next? Are you going to be like one of these guys who gets on the Hall of Fame, goes up, collects his ring, doesn't even play in Worlds, and then never, never to be seen again? I mean... If, if I get in the Hall of Fame, I'm literally just going to be using my vacation time to go to Pro Tours, you know. I have a full-time job now, so 
I won't be able to make it to every pro tour, but everyone that I can get vacation time for, I'm going to be going. I also just worked out a deal with Star City Games. I'm going to start writing, you know, either one to two articles a month for them, just strategy-based, where, you know, I feel like at this point in my career, I've kind of... Think, and think about the game in a different way than I did when I was younger. I also feel like I can explain it in words much better. What the hell is that supposed to mean? You were one of the best. De you were the best deck designer in the world for you think two years. I think at least a year, though. The I thing about Magic is you just never stop learning. You know, like I think I'm a significantly better deck builder now than I was when I, you know, back in 2006. Really? That's the sickest part. That's unbelievable. I, I, I think about that all the time. I think I, sometimes I think that I hit my plateau, not my plateau, I hit my peak at deck design and strategy in 2000, which is 11 years ago. Well, the thing is, the game's constantly changing. It's like, you know, back in 2004, spells were king, you know. 2010, creatures are king. You just have to completely, like, reinvent how you're building your decks. And for some people, like, it's really, really hard to change your strat your deck-building strategies as the game is changing. You know, it just feels wrong to be just casting creatures every turn when <laughs> there are just spells out there. Like, what happened to the good old days when you had Counterspell, you know? Yeah, that that's what's weird to me. But it, I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was at my best in 2000 because I made a bunch of PTQ Top 8s that year. Or, you know, Johnny won Nationals with the deck I, des I designed. Then I look back, you know, I designed the World Championship winning deck just two years ago, and I just made another sick deck, like a month or two ago. So maybe I didn't hit my peak, but it's really hard to, it's really hard to, to look at it that way. Like, I, I'm really surprised to hear you say that, but it's also wonderful. I don't doubt you. I think, I think may, it would be great if you were, I don't know, maybe you're the best deck designer in the world right now. Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> the thing is, when you just, the more experience you get, the more efficient you become with your time. You know, now it's like, I'll play a deck, and I'll, within 10 games, I'll just know if the deck is competitive or not. It doesn't matter if I'm winning or losing, it's just how the draws go. And then you, like, quickly understand how the format plays out. Like, what does my deck need to do on, like, turns 1 through 4, turns, like, 5 through 8, so on and so forth. Like, what, what are, like, other decks' big turns, you know? Like, obviously, in Type 2, like... A big turn was four because then Jace is a threat back in the, you know, before the band. Yeah, like a week ago, Jace was a threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just stuff like that. And, like, you quickly learn that. And before, like, I would always just, you know, get kind of stuck. Like, I think this is a good strategy. I'm just going to keep on, like, trying and trying and trying. And, like, I kind of didn't see what other decks were doing and, like, what problems my deck had. Like, was it the mid game? Was it the late game? Was it the early game? You know, like, did I need to be faster? Did, was I. I need to have more staying power, and all these things. Like I just become, I've gotten more and more efficient at over the years of recognizing the problems in my decks, and now it's much more. You know, a couple big things is to just build decks, play them in tournaments, and tear just awful, horrible decks. I wouldn't wish them on anyone. And once that happens, then you're just like, okay, now I don't just want to play my deck forever. Now I have to concede <laughs> that sometimes I'm wrong. You know. That's a huge step in it for a deck builder. The, maybe, one, maybe one day Conley Woods will realize that. <laughs> I think the one of the one of the things you said that that actually means a lot to me is a efficient use of time, especially with regards to deck design. You've done some work with V, right? Okay. So, 
uh, for, I think, Worlds 2007? Was that the year you guys played Innovator Dragonstorm? I think so. That was New York? Yeah. Yeah, so that was that. I worked with V for that Pro Tour, and I was, like, just... I was gaming with whatever deck that made top eight estates, like, what is it, like, Mannequin with Shriek Maws and Mole Drifters and Elves, like, all kinds of crap, right, that wasn't as good as your deck. The, uh, so I would just hammer these decks against V, and V was like, we just play, like, four games, or not even six games, you'd just be like, done, we're not testing that deck anymore, it sucks. Or, like, Elementals, he's like, this deck's done. Like, I don't care about the stupid Elementals. Like, he would just, he, would, he was just playing, like, um, would have been fairies later, right? So, uh, he had, like, these eight terrible 1-1 flyers, but then also, um, some good fairies tribal cards and, uh, and Cryptic Command. And his deck yeah, was, like, I remember that deck. It was, like, wasn't the, it wasn't as good as your deck, but I think it was probably maybe the next best deck in the tournament. And it was just, it was just weird to me, like, I was just used to my whole life playing through matchups and stuff, you know, like, oh, let's see how this goes, and he was just like, done, don't care about that deck, next. Yeah, the matchups aren't really important. It's like how the deck is playing out, you know, and how other decks are playing out. It's like, you know, a lot of times you're just going to have a bad matchup, and it's you can't, you just need to be honest with yourself on, is your deck competitive? Like, are the games close, you know? And that's like, that. that is something that a lot of people just don't realize. So, the thing is, so what do you think about, like, um, did you see this post that uh, was on MCG Lampoon earlier this week? Oh, the Hall of Fame selection committee thing. I mean, I personally I thought it was funny. Okay, but I know that some people and the, the problem with this is the thing is we think it was funny, but we also weren't targeted. I, I was in the group of people who shouldn't get a vote. Like okay, I, but whatever. I thought it was funny. I understand, but the the thing that that I'm going to ask you about is, I think some people were offended. And that those people, in some cases, have votes and might be the people who were targeted. And I just be a little bit afraid, like, because you were kind of, you know, bundled up in that, like, well, yeah. Mark Herberholtz and I, and, you know, you didn't write that piece, right? I mean, even if you, no, even no. if you had a conversation about it. He just ate me and asked me that while I was at work, you know, so I'm just like, no, I don't know these dudes, thinking that, I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of had a feeling of where he was going. It was going to become a thing. <laughs> Well, I kind of had a feeling where he's going to go with the story, so I'm just like, no, of course not. I want to give him something funny to use. But it's like, obviously, I knew some of the people on the list. I just wasn't friends with them. Like, I've never sat down and had, like, a conversation with them and gotten to know them, you know? I know of them. I just don't know them. So then, obviously, this article comes out, and then there's just all this blowback. And I'm just sitting here like... Some of the comments were ferocious. I, yeah. I, I mean... I personally, I'm friends with people on both sides of it, and I think that there was, I can understand being upset with Sperling over this. On the other hand, I think some of it was a bit over the top, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I do think that that you know you can't write stuff sometimes and be like, oh, it was just humor if it bothers somebody. But the other time, you're like, oh, I'm smiling like the Cheshire Cat in, in the alternative. I, I like I said, I thought it was funny to begin with, but. Um, you know, as bad as the selection committee seems, like the player committee is a disaster. There, there are people yeah. I know for a fact. I know for a fact. I'm not going to say who. Somebody voted for only four people from the player committee, and the fourth person he voted for was Mike Long. And the reason is, though, you can only see four people whose name he recognized, and Mike Long was one of them, so he voted for them. 
And I'm not saying don't vote for Mike Long. I'm not saying that at all. I just think that this is a pretty stark thing. He only votes for four people. One of them's Mike Long. And the only reason that he votes for Mike Long is because he recognizes his name. Like, that's... <laughs> well, the problem with the player committee is that if it's only a player committee or if they have equal weight, it becomes way easier to just, like, vote in your buddies, you know? And, I mean, the problem with the whole voting process in general is that the, some of the people with votes just may not do the research, you know? Hopefully that hopefully they they you know, understand the honor that is bestowed upon them to have this vote and they like do the proper research to look at resumes and try and try and get, you know, at least get to know the candidates somewhat and try and understand what they did for the game and if it would be good for the game to have them back in it, you know? And that that's that's my great hope is that these people on the selection committee that, you know, Sperling or whoever are gonna write articles about and saying, Who's this joker, you know? It doesn't really matter who he is. I'm sure he's done. He must have done something very good for the game to get on this on the belt on the uh, committee. You know, and my hope is that if I don't know that this who this guy is, I hope that he knows who I am. You know, I hope that if he doesn't know who I am, he's going to look me up and look up my stats and read some articles and try try and make an educated vote. So I mean, that's all we can really ask for. To me, there's there's two both you and Patrick. You know, from Michigan. Uh, I voted for both of you this year. The these are the things that I think of, and I, and, you know, Pat's a good friend of both of ours, right? But I didn't vote for him last year. Yeah. And to me, you know, his top eight in Paris, I think, I think for a lot of people, were like, let's let's find a reason to vote for Patrick because he's done so much from a community contribution standpoint. They want to have a reason to vote for him, and I think, I think that Paris was was probably the thing that gave a lot of people that that push off the cliff. And I, I hope that. And I think from the same token, you know, that's Patrick who is thought of mostly as someone who's a writer or a contributor to the community at this point, doing something as a player. That's fantastic. You, to me, are someone who not only was a superb player, four Pro Tour top eights, um, Grand Prix finishes, Pro Tour champion, all kinds of great stuff on your play resume. But like we said earlier... I think you were one of the greatest deck designers in the world for a sustained period. You're not even qualified for the Pro Tour, and you produce the deck that is played by the winner of the Pro Tour. And you're not even How you're not friends. I mean, like you're not even friends with Sharfman. I think that's a thing that that, that people look at. You're, you like never met the guy, right? Is that yeah. is that? I, I actually I actually met him once at U.S. Nats. He like scooped me into top eight and had a three minute conversation with him. But by no means are we like were we anything more than that you know we weren't even really acquaintances like i'm not even friends with them on facebook yes yeah, so, so maybe casual buddies shared a top eight at u.s nats and then you produce i mean this is amazing to me like when i see mark herberholtz put together and it's clearly an insane deck like you said five out of six people cashed who didn't cash Ant? it's ant right rabbits of course <laughs> rabbits oh man come on did you have to guess at that one <laughs> Irregard this irregardless. Uh, so, where's Ant live? Does he live in the Philippines? He is in Italy right now. Oh, in Italy. I thought he like lived in the Philippines and he just hopped over to the Pro Tour. Like he, he was, he won a PTQ there because he was working from there, and then you know he came back to the island. We brewed together. It wasn't like literally once he told me that he was qualified and asked me to brew. 
I'm just messaging him every day, like, once the spoiler came out. Like, dude, here's my bruise. Here's my bruise. Like, come on, I got the fever, man. When are you getting back? I got to play. I got to play. Matches underneath your feet? Yeah. Just can't. The fire is back. I'm not even qualified. I just want to bruise so he can win. So, anyway, like I was saying, I think a lot of people wanted a reason to vote for Patrick. I think Paris goes a long way. Because different than the, you know, no one's going to be surprised if Patrick makes a great deck, right? No one's going to be surprised if he writes a great article. But him putting himself in top eight of a pro tour might raise an eyebrow, might give a lot of people who are thinking about him because they like him for other reasons, reason to vote. To me, you were always on my short list, but then to see you as a deck designer, five years removed from, how, from being the best in the world at this, and coming back and then randomly putting two people on top eight of the pro tour, that's, that's, uh, I I think that's that's a good reason for other people to vote a Heezy. Still got it. Feels good. Feels good. Still got it. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? Did you read my uh, memoirs? Of course I read your memoirs. Uh, by the way, I read your memoirs. I don't think I was mentioned once in any of the first three <laughs> chapters. How much I like a memoir, a podcast interview, an article... Correlates very closely. You know, the first, I think, something, the first 72 episodes of Innovations or something mentioned me in some positive light. You should take note from Patrick. Flores, you don't want me to mention the conversation when I was like, Mike, how do you handle it when you just go to every tournament and lose all the time? I don't know how to deal with it, man. I'm on the edge here. Please talk me down. Yeah, I want you to mention that about as much as the time I was like, you know, Mark, you really remind me of a girl I was <laughs> I was <laughs> engaged to for a while. <laughs> You're like, huh? And like, Heezy has a goatee at this point. <laughs> it's a goatee. <laughs> you really look like this girl who I thought I was going to marry. <laughs> yeah, those are two. Those are. Yeah, those are those are two conversations. I think it's you know it's like that killer song. Obviously, she didn't have a goatee. Okay. She looked like a girl. She was cute. But, like, just, you know, like that killer song, like, somebody told me, like, you know, just some people remind you of somebody else. Uh, I think but the most me- the most memorable conversation I ever had with you was, like, you, you came up to me. You, you did something the previous week. You're like, oh, I don't think I should have done this thing. But I'm not going to say what it is because probably underage people are, are listening to this. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty stupid. And you're, and, and you said, you're like, stupid, I'm not the one who's only going to have sex with one woman for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, yeah, those are three conversations you might, might want to avoid mentioning in this, in the future articles at Star City Games, because we've just had them now, so people, people have already heard them. But this is, if you want this caliber of personality, um, joking around, good times, Obviously a superb player, obviously an elite deck designer uh, back on the Pro Tour. I think that you should make like the cool kids are and vote a Mark Herberholtz in. Speaking of which, did you do that thing with uh, Patrick sent out, like top 10 deck designers of all time? I did. Yeah? All right, I'm not going to ask you your other nine. I'll just just tell you, buddy. You cracked my list. You you cracked my list, too. Just, (laughs) Just put it out there. I'm not saying my other nine. You're on my list. You, you made the cut, bud. Did you put Did you put Pat on your list? He wouldn't. He said I had to exclude Pat. You weren't allowed to put yourself or Pat. I didn't put Pat, and I didn't put myself. And I think he made that rule because I was the first person to submit my ten. 
And he's like, neither one of us is on the list. I'm like, yeah, I did present present exclusions. And I think on future invites, he told people not to do that. Yeah, I'd, obviously, like, you know, first two people on my list for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I moved, so I moved somebody off my list who's real good. So I, I sent Pat a revision yesterday. I moved somebody off my list who's super good. And then I said, Pat, I need to take him off, and I put Osip on. And I didn't have Osip on previously. And, uh... And and Pat's like, that's funny because he has you on his list. Maybe I should tell him to take you off. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> man, you gotta make sure not to make Pat angry. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he says it's gonna be a great project. You know, I, I don't even know what it's for, but you know, he just sent me a message yeah. or whatever. But it seems it's, he says it's gonna be like the best thing ever. Um, I'm excited. So, all right. Uh, for Mark Herberholtz, hopefully Pro Tour Hall of Fame class of 2011, Mark Herberholtz. I'm Michael J. Flores. Bye, Mark. Yep, thanks for having me.